This is Mouth Media Network, the business of being heard. Hey, everyone. I'm Chris Ressa. I am a husband, a father. I'm the chief operating officer at DLC. We are a shopping center owner in the United States. We own open-air retail across the country. I am the host of a podcast called Retail Retold, the story of how that store ended up in your neighborhood. I am the host of Coffee with Chris on Wednesdays at 7.30 a.m. live on Instagram. And what I love about retail is that it impacts everybody in America. From New York City, you're listening to Retail is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the retail industry. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Retail is Your Business. I'm one of your hosts, Mark Rako, and my other host, Rebecca Fitz, is not here at the moment because she had an opportunity to get her COVID vaccine, and I don't blame her. She jumped on that, and uh, she'll be back with me later in the day as we record more episodes of Retail is Your Business. But for this one, you're stuck with me, uh, but we're going to have a good time. I am so excited for our guest. You're in for a treat. I think we're all going to benefit from this. His name is Chris Ressa, as you heard earlier, and uh, boy, talk about a guy in the thick of it. Uh, he's right in the middle of it and looking at uh, the retail industry from all sides, and in particular, uh, how it connects with real estate, which is which is kind of cool. Because of his podcast, the work that he does, he also gets to talk with a lot of people that are actually on the frontier, in the field, in the war zone in retail, and hear the things that are going great and the things that aren't. And so I think this is a unique opportunity for us to talk to someone looking through those different lenses at the same time. So, Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to have Happy you. Happy to be here. <laughs> Thank you. Same here. I'm glad to have you. You know, uh, I'd like to start here. One of the things that struck me as I kind of looked through, you know, some of the information that there is out uh, about you, including your LinkedIn, something that I think you and I have in common, uh, one, one of a number of things, and that was... Uh, my impression is that you're a guy who is um, deeply energized by things that are presented to you that appear impossible or implausible, and there's nothing you like better than saying, gimme. I, I, I want to take that on because I love the idea of something that just seems like it's undoable, and I want to be the one to do it. And, and to me... That connects well, in my mind, to your past as a, uh, if I remember correctly, a Division One wrestler. That's right. In college. And a lot of wrestling has to do with an, what seems like an immovable force driving you down to the mat. And you have to figure out some move that you can wrangle yourself out of there and reverse fortune where you end up on top. And to me, that seems to mirror a lot of the struggle that retailers have obviously in this time of COVID, but you know, often there are just forces that come at you and you have to have a great strategy to figure out how you can end up on top. So I just wanted to mention that alignment and I was curious, maybe your reaction to that thought. Well, I think one, I am inspired by those who, you know, overcome 
if I were to choose a brand yes. that I connect with a lot, one that comes to mind would be Nike. I resonate with Just Do It, Overcoming Obstacles. And I think that, and it's a great brand, right? Nike is the goddess of, of victory. Of course. Oh, yeah. And it's an amazing name. You know, I, I, don't, that, I don't know that I knew that. That's, yeah. that's such an interesting factoid. Go ahead. You know, life would be boring if it was all running through the motions. And I really get energized, as you said, by taking on challenges that a lot of people say you can't do. And some are potentially impossible, but it's a lot more gratifying to me to solve a problem that seems really daunting than it is to solve one that everyone can solve and anyone can do. And that's what kind of really, that definitely drives me. There's no more place that's, you know, a mist of disruption and needs and has many problems that need to be solved that seem really daunting than retail. That is so true. All right, well, let's let's uh, build on that a little bit. What do you think right at this moment, we're recording this on March 19th, 2021. At this moment in time, what do you think retail in America, retail's greatest obstacle at the moment is? It may seem obvious, but I'm I'm curious if there's a nuance that will be reflected in your answer that 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 wouldn't be obvious to us all. I'm going to say I'm going to change the word obstacle to risk. Okay, I like that. And I'm going to say human capital. And the challenges that we face are, you know, retail's got tremendous, contrary to headline news, retail's got tremendous tailwinds. And it's this driver of the economy. But it requires to, to pave the way for the future, it requires people to solve really big challenges. And to do that, we need the most talented, the best and the brightest, and we need some uh, continued game changers from all angles, from the merchant side to the real estate side, to the ops side, to the supply side, to the tech side. We need game-changing people. And it feels like it's a real struggle. And most importantly, we need dynamic people in the stores. We need amazing people in the stores. And I think you know, retail has a lot of uh, fantastic people in the stores. We need to continue to get the best and the brightest in the stores. And there's so many stores I see where we change store managers and sales skyrocket because we got the right person in the store. And we need the best and the brightest and the game-changing people to enter retail. And right now there's such a driver for people to go and learn how to code and learn computer science and go get a job at a big tech company. And that's great, but we need to get as an industry, our fair share of the best and the brightest. And I'm concerned that headline news is pushing young Americans away from working in retail. And there's this connotation that it's, uh, you don't want to work in that. And right. what a better place if you're the type of person who loves to solve big problems and you want to take on huge challenges, what an amazing place to work in than retail. Are you familiar with Ron Thurston's uh, concept and book about retail pride? Yes. I, I recently interviewed him on my podcast. Yes. For as, as well we did on, on this one. And he, um, 
you know, I, I think about both his mantra about the importance of uh, fostering a pride in working in retail to attract and retain the right talent, number one, which I think, as you indicated, is key to the success of retail. And secondly, uh, I think about a concept called fanocracy from David Meerman. Scott, are you familiar with this as well? I'm not, no. So the idea that brands are better served by developing fans versus followers, uh, where they don't just follow what the brand has to say, but are into what the brand is about and become fans. And uh, and uh, so similarly, like someone that you know, uh, and I'm really dumbing this down uh, and not giving enough credit to David Meerman Scott on this concept. I'm a fan of Nike. Uh, yeah. Well, well, okay. But see, here's the thing. One of the things is like, if I was a fan of you, uh, let's say that you are a huge Chicago Bears fan, just making that up. And I'm a huge Chicago Bears fan. And what may unite us is our common love of the Chicago Bears. And that would connect us in a way that might result in business being being happening. So if you create, so if, uh, if Nike is all about uh, saving the planet and that becomes a major, major thrust of their marketing and their, their engagement with fans, then f- people might feel about Nike a certain way because they identify them with uh, uh, saving the planet, for example. Um, and that, that is more powerful than just getting people to follow you. So similarly, sorry, the long route to my question. My question is, how much do you think it's important that that idea of retail associates being fans of the brand so you can attract the right talent and retain them is important? And if it is, what do you think uh, retailers can do to start fostering that loyalty to the brand as opposed to the attraction to a job? Yeah, I I think Simon Sinek says like people want to work with, you know, with people who believe what they believe and they're that is pretty crystal clear and i think that makes a lot of sense as an industry more than just a brand in all facets of the industry how do we change the narrative that it's exciting to work in a place where there's major disruption and to continue to go forward you have to solve big challenges if that's the type of thing that excites you, this is an industry you should consider. And there's all facets of the industry. It could be on the real estate side like I'm in. It could be the store operation side. It could be the merchant side. It could be supply chain. But there's big challenges. And I think that the narrative in headline news has really challenged the industry as a whole from garnering the best talent. So you've got an interesting – thank you for that. that that's really an intriguing response. You've got two different lenses in a way that you, you look at the retail industry. One is through your own direct work. And could we take a minute and unpack what you do with your company? We own open-air shopping centers across the country. So if we – our tenants are Walmart, Target, Starbucks – TJ Maxx, Home Goods, Dick's Sporting Goods, the local pizzeria, the local shoe store. 
these are the tenants in just like a tenant of a apartment building has a landlord. I'm the landlord for the properties that I own and DLC owns and uh, they operate in. So we that we make a deal with them to sign a lease to come to our property. They they're paying rent and we try to provide a property where they can, you know, maximize that opportunity. Thank you. Uh, so now you're looking at the retail industry through the lens of uh, a property operator. And then you're looking at it through the lens also as someone who's having ongoing conversations with people who, who may not be your tenants, but they are uh, deeply entrenched in in the retail industry, in the field. Um, yeah, I you... think the way I would characterize that a bit is... Go ahead. I think in any business, knowing as much as you can about your clients is good practice. And we have a myriad of retail clients from enterprise organizations to franchises to local businesses. And so in order to be the best the the best landlord that we can be, the best operator of properties that we can be to be have tremendous client service, we have to be as much as we can be experts in the overall retail business so that we can shape the, without the physical real estate, there is no brick and mortar retail stores. And so we are in the thick of it and we're talking to retailers every day, both from our property management groups on the ground with store level people to our corporate staff talking to um, people on their corporate staff and to services that provide to all. So um, we are entrenched in all things retail and we need to be. Okay, so given the moment that we're in, not not to make it all about the pandemic here, but it's a reality that the retail industry and others obviously are facing at the moment. What kinds of things with your clients have you and your team needed to consider to help your tenants be success, your clients be successful in this moment that may even be outside the realm of how you would normally provide, you know, support and service. So at a, at a store level during the pandemic, we had something called the eight strategy, the ATE, which was accommodate, communicate and mitigate. So uh -huh. where I think mitigates pretty clear, we had people coming to our properties, we had to do our best to make sure that they were clean, safe places to shop. Number one, so mitigate everything COVID related. Accommodate, that doesn't mean free rent. That just yeah. means that there might have been things that we could do, whether it was there was one tenant that we had a they had a big event that was getting canceled. And so we helped them move it outside and we put a tent up, might be providing outdoor seating for a restaurant where might not have been able to accommodate that previously. It might be helping with a line because of social distancing outside a store. So accommodate. And then the third was communicate. And that was probably the biggest thing was we were constantly communicating with our tenants to hear what was going on, to make sure that we understood and we could try to accommodate. So the eights communicate, accommodate, mitigate was our strategy. So 
along the, particularly on the communication side, you know, one, one thing that I know a lot of retailers with brick and mortar have, have had the challenge of is they, they may have had some e-commerce presence or they had to quickly slap together an e-commerce presence just to, to the reality of the situation. Um, and for a lot of brick and mortar retailers, they needed to find a way to capture what was in store people and move them to e-commerce, at least temporarily, but still build a bridge back to their physical presence. So as people are more comfortable or able to come back to physical presence, they, they know that's still a place that they can and should be and to have a really nice bridge built between those two places so that, you know, you don't lose people, but it still feels like they're connected. And I know that some retail managers out there uh, have thought about how they can assist their clients in being successful in this moment while at the same time trying not to draw people away from the, it's almost chicken and egg, like trying not to draw people away from the physical presence, but trying to arm that retailer to still be successful so that they can continue to have that physical presence successfully going forward. So the question is, is how, how have you looked at that, if at all, about how you can be helpful or supportive with the realities of the leaning towards e-commerce in the moment while still making sure that your interests in the brick and mortar are served. The fight between e-commerce and, and and brick and mortar to me is just noise and headline news. I think the first thing is you have to stop the fight and try to be truly multi-channel. I think it's gone from omni to multi-channel. We have new channels now, right? Or we have old, we have, I've received an Amazon catalog over Christmas, right? An actual physical catalog. So that's a channel. You have the store, you have online. We're seeing now live marketplaces where people are doing like QVC on places. So I think the key is where whoever your consumer is, you need to be where that consumer is when, what, you know, and serve that consumer how they want to be served. And, and for some, that means it's just the store because it doesn't make economic sense to do it online, right? If you look at Burlington stores who in the beginning of the pandemic, right before like literally February, right before this was all going on in 2020, they were they shut down their e-commerce and their CEO has been pretty public about I'm selling a $12 basket. I, I can't profit from an e-commerce sale and so I want to drive people to the store. The... I, I think there's if you're trying to fight for any other reason, I think you're 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 gonna struggle. Whereas you gotta continue to communicate through digital formats to the consumer and give them a compelling reason to come to the store. But if they wanna shop you online and you can be profitable doing that, then you should offer that as well. But I think it's if you're going from this, like we, we shifted a lot of business online. Now I have to force the consumer back to the store. I wouldn't look at it like that. I would say, what are the compelling reasons? What can I offer in the store that someone's going to want to the store? And what are the compelling reasons or what can I offer in an online format? But today, still, even in a pandemic, I think people forget this. Even in a pandemic, we ended the year 
with 84% of all retail sales in 2020 were sold in a physical store. So in America, 84% of all retail sales were sold in a store. So even in a pandemic, when people were locked down and e-commerce sales skyrocketed, it still only amounted at the end of 2020 to 16% of total retail sales. So, you know, when I look at that, I say, okay, people were locked down, weren't supposed to be out and about, but yet still 84% of all the retail sales in 2020 were done in a physical store. So what, what does that say? That, that talk, that this says a lot about a lot of things. To me, that says that people like shopping in stores, contrary to popular belief, it's convenient. It's more affordable, right? So most retailers can't truly profit on an e-commerce sale. Most Americans, it was long ago, but about 2017, there was a study done that 78% of Americans were paycheck to paycheck. So they can't afford to pay for shipping. Retailers can't afford to give free shipping or they lose money. And so it makes it quite clear that from a value perspective, the best place is the store. I think one of the things that happened and that we tried to help people with, that we did, and you asked me, what did we specifically do? We instituted our park and pickup, which is, we instituted all our centers, which is buy online, pick up in store. And that allows a consumer to connect with you digitally, potentially purchase through the app, but pick it up at the store. And there's this huge halo effect that happens when someone does that and they make additional purchases when they go to the physical store. What a way to increase your basket size. And solve for the last mile. Up next, you'll hear from Chris on what he's seen is working in stores and perhaps some of the things that are not working so well right after this. Have you taken a look at StoryDot yet? Every brand and every product has a story to tell. And you can't successfully sell that brand or product without telling the story. StoryDot delivers your story wherever you want it to be heard. You can meet your customers at each point in their journey, connecting the dots between your business and the consumer to enhance engagement, experience, and conversion. I encourage you to take a look at StoryDot at StoryDot.com. That's S-T-O-R-I-D-O-T.com. All right, welcome back, everybody. And also, welcome back to Rebecca Fitz, who stunningly has already completed her COVID vaccination and jumped on the mic with us uh, to continue. So, Rebecca, good to see you. I'm so happy you're with us. How was, how, how was your shot? It, it was great. I'm uh, happy to report that um, was really well organized. I think they might have gotten me in before my appointment. Um, you know, so I, I certainly am saluting uh, all those people who wear blue every day because well, it's it's so not an easy job. Were you in a Were you in a, a situation where the people pr- providing it were uh, military? Was it a military with federal uh, versus state? In- in a federal building, um, I'm okay. not sure uh, they were not dressed in, you know, any military uniform. Okay. But uh, you know, I'm assuming because court isn't in, they thought, hey, why don't we use the courthouse why, as why a, <laughs> as a place to, you know, give some shots? So, 
Well, great. Uh, I don't want to get in the weeds here because we're here yeah, with Chris, but I have exactly. to tell you, I think I told you offline, uh, I'm envious of your experience because I had an uh, experience of waiting six hours for my appointment outside for oh, my yeah. first shot. Uh, it was just one of those things that just they didn't have their organization together or whatever. And, you know, it's a tough it's a tough situation. A lot of these uh, these these vaccination locations are just been slapped together at the last second just to get them out there and exactly we're they're working out the kinks which might be a good segue to (laughs) whatever exactly (laughs) what can we learn from the vaccination program about customer experience anyway i'm pretty sure we're still working out the kinks on that too so so with that in mind chris uh i teased it before the break uh maybe we could transition a little bit to the things that you have been observing both in terms of your own operation and the conversations you've had on your podcast and and around in the industry, um, particularly in the last year, but in recent times, what what are some of the things that you've seen that retailers have been doing that you're just really impressed at? And you can name names if you want, but you don't have to, that just, they seem to be in such the right track by what they've done, either from an innovation standpoint, a customer experience standpoint, a use of their physical space standpoint, a, a bridge to e-commerce standpoint, anything you want to say. And then conversely, you know, if there's things that have raised alarm bells for you, we've seen and go, God, what are these people thinking? They're just missing the boat. Anything you'd like to offer on either or both of those planes? I think one, I'm, you know, from a, enterprise scale i'm extremely impressed with target if you go on the app you can most products you can get delivered to your home within four hours you can buy it online pick it up in store you can buy it online get it put in your trunk you literally go into a spot and you text them and they put it they come right out and put it in your trunk in a moment or you can go shop the store and I've used all avenues and every time I go to the Target, the parking lot's jammed. People are there. They've got merchandise. They've got uh, really great products. And so from that, they've done really well. And then on the other end, there's a seeming push to go direct to consumer for a lot of big brands, right? Nike went off Amazon. I, I think Ralph Lauren went off Amazon and people are trying to move you know, there's this push like, you know, I need to protect my channel and go direct to consumer. And with that, in what is Target done, I wouldn't say quietly, but not loudly. They've created multiple billion dollar private label brands inside. So they're not only third party retailing, they're also um, creating amazing private label brands. And so for, for me, Target has really executed amazingly in a time of real stress on supply chain. They've executed incredibly on the store operation. They've executed amazingly on the channel distribution and where to shop and they've crushed it on merchandise. So uh, I've been uber impressed with Target. I would, it's funny, you've got two people, city dwellers. I don't know if you have a car, Mark, but it does sound pretty luxurious to pull into your parking space and have some pop the trunk and have somebody put some stuff in it. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> just, sure. just saying, uh, you know, it's not not the experience I'm having. I, I would certainly agree on Target kind of all around. Like they have some of these niche cool brands. So they've got their third party stuff, um, which I think is a big draw kind of for more of a like a fashion or, a, a you know, cool customer who's not buying their Clorox there. But they also have that going for them and and how they pivoted and you know, did all that, um, you know, other kind of omni-channel or unified commerce stuff is is impressive, even though they are are a biggie. Basket size they've got from my house is a family of four in suburban America is pretty huge. Your your AOV is pretty pretty big. <laughs> yeah. Awesome, awesome. Anybody on a smaller level that's um, been interesting to you? I don't even want to say more boutique-y, but maybe just uh, a level down or local. I think I've seen some just really cool things from a lot of people the uh, that people have done to be innovative in there was an article in you know uh, that I posted that uh, LinkedIn shared the the innovation has been crazy so so if you're not familiar with Mattress Mac I am not Mattress, Mattress okay. Mac this is yeah. a furniture furniture retailer in Houston I believe he has three locations he bet uh, millions of dollars on the Super Bowl that the Tampa Bay would win. And so if Tampa Bay won and you bought a mattress in that two-week period, you got a free mattress. And if they lost, you didn't get a free mattress. And he and he did he's done this before with the Astros and some other things. And he you know, it's a win-win. No matter what happens, he wins. It's an insurance policy. But I thought it was clever. It made huge headline news. You'll find the article that I posted in LinkedIn, which was uh, had some virality to it and uh, got reshared by LinkedIn News. We saw things like, uh, I forget the name of the restaurant, but the Spokane Orchestra partnered with a catering company in Spokane, Washington, and they sent virtual uh, a dinner for sixty dollars with a virtual orchestra to family to for dates for Valentine's Day. So we're That's seeing very, all these things. Um, it's so cool. There's you know I've seen a local uh, brand new furniture store in uh, that just opened in Colorado that was taking interior design to a new level. She was going on Instagram and she would show the product or someone would go and show their house, their house. And she would tell him, I think this would look great over here. And here's what I would do with it in your house. And what a way to engage with the customer and create a connection. So Um, I think that um, I've seen a lot of innovation on a smaller boutique level. Yeah. I'm so impressed by the way at those examples, which I hadn't heard of any of them, but you know, just kind of thinking about it as we're talking on, the, the struggle to pivot if you weren't already there as a retailer, and it's not really just on, you know, um, we've talked about restaurants on this who added every single, um, you know, delivery thing, and they'd never used them all, including a restaurant right across from my house. And I was telling Mark, I was like, he named off all of these things, including a couple that I was like, did he just make that up? Because it doesn't mm-hmm. sound like anything I've ever heard. It certainly wasn't like, you know, Uber Eats. Um, but also to your point on, you can do all these great things, but if nobody knows about them, so they also had to really up their marketing game. And I think just having to 
have the bar rise on both of those at the same time um, is just kind of, you know, an incredible feat. Um, something on my side of the business that we've talked about and amazingly I haven't tried um, are these, you know, online kind of concierge appointments. And I'm, I guess I'm just a physical store person, but, I, but as part of the industry, I should really try them. But We've tried them in some of these more smaller direct-to-consumer stores, and, and people went for it, and they shopped differently, and they shopped, you know, expensive, nice items, but, you know, via video, someone helping them out, basically doing the song and dance of um, the sales ambassador, but online, and, and people dinged in. So it's it's impressive. Totally. One, one thing uh, that kind of occurred to me about both of those examples that you shared, Chris, is how they were both tied into kind of an emotional experience take for the consumer. You know, the excitement of will I win? Won't I win? I could get this for free. This is so exciting. Something's on the line uh, creates this, this rush of, of uh, adrenaline or dopamine or like people that might not even have cared as much about the Super Bowl now care about it because of that moment. And then, you know, this Valentine's day thing, how cool because you're you're really making an impact on someone's life, and it seems to me that um, you know I, not just is there a rush to what the consumer experience is in store or online, but even how the brand connects to you outside of the actual buying experience is you know how what are the different ways that a brand can make a difference in your life? W- would you would you care to comment on? how that may be um, a new consciousness awaking in retailers uh, that, that it, it go it, it just simply goes beyond what their square footage is or what their web presence is. Competition is fierce going into the pandemic. There were 464,000 brick and mortar stores and 1.8 million online stores. So competition is fierce getting brand recognition Getting brand loyalty takes a lot and money alone can't do it. And so you're seeing that, you know, brands really have to connect with people and it's not easy to do. Where do you think the nature of storytelling is perhaps in a moment of transformation for for retailers in the way that they're even telling their stories, the, the delivery mechanisms for storytelling, the types of stories that they're telling, the way that they're communicating their brand ethos, uh, and the, you know, the ways they can even connect directly with consumers. I, I, I think that you're at a huge advantage if today versus 30 years ago, um, the way to connect with consumers through social media and digital platforms creates an opportunity to storytell. And some brands do this really well. Obviously, you had the opportunity previously with mass media, but much more expensive and not accessible for the majority. And now with all these new forms of media, whether it's a podcast like this or a social media platform, it's created the opportunity for brands to tell a story and clearly as you're seeing whether it's social social commerce or anything else that's happening out there to uh, from a storytelling perspective brands are focused on telling a story and consumers want to connect with something and they like connecting with the story 
I'm I'm curious, you guys may have touched upon this, but um, you know, we just talked about how high the bar has kind of been raised um in the pandemic. And again, we're not gonna come out of the pandemic in all one big boom. Um, but will the bar still stay up there? And I'm, you know, I, I, I think it probably will. I think there might be dips in other places, but you know, I, I, um, I'm loving, you know, and it's not like I was treated horribly at any of these places before, but you know, when we were first able to kind of, people weren't really, you know, just ordering online anymore and you could go into Whole Foods and there was somebody out there counting how many people could go in and kind of giving you the nod, like, it's okay, we've got the count, go go in and do your thing and get out. Um, You know, will it continue to be this kinder, gentler experience and this, I guess what I, you know, really attentive experience to the consumer because there was also this fear factor come into my store, you know, it's going to be safe, it's going to be okay. Uh, And it'll take us a while to get out of it. So I don't think there'll be this radical dip, like one day, everything's just back to normal, and it's fine. And you don't have to, you know, have a sales associate on the floor to greet people or help people. But you know, any insights on on that or, or general feelings? I would say that one of the reasons I don't like the word retail is it, it covers too much. I think it depends on what the, the premise is. I, you know, if, if, I think if you're, you know, my intent when I go to Walmart, I, I, I want to continue to have an enhanced experience, but I really want to save more and live better, right? That's their brand motto, right? So to me, in that in that instance, I'm probably willing to sacrifice experience and I'm willing to sacrifice uh, sometimes convenience, although Walmart's done a really good job for convenience for price where I, I think that's one. I think the bar, I think there's retailers who are pushing back on this a bit. Uh, And I think they're changing the narrative and I'm excited for that. And I think no more than the delivery front. I recently interviewed Andrew Cox on my podcast and he, he said, one of the things that are uh, is going to be interesting in retail is this divergence in delivery. And there's an arms race right now for faster delivery. And if you're trying to comp- – most retailers who try to compete with Amazon, Walmart, and Target on delivery, right? They, they're, you, we, you, they're delivered to you for free. And if you don't like it, just keep it and we'll give you a refund, right? That, that's not scalable for most people. And so if you're trying to compete in that arms race, you're probably going to lose. And so what did Timberland just do? Timberland is trying to get you to take longer delivery. And what they found was that there's a percentage of their consumer, if you did something socially conscious, they would take delivery later. And so what is Timberland doing? If you will take non-expedited delivery, Timberland will plant a tree in your name. And so... I thought that was genius and this is the divergence that I think you're going to see in that part of the experience in delivery where some retailers are going to say, I, I call mercy. I'm never going to make any money if I have to compete with Walmart, Target and Amazon. This is, we're, we don't have the balance sheets. Uh, we can't do this. And so how do we compete and provide, you know, an interesting experience? And I think that's a an interesting one, which... To me. And so to your point, when you mentioned everything about the store, I think, you know, the personalization is a big word. 
that people use and, and really being personable and having that connection with consumers. I think that's great for some retailers. For Walmart and Amazon, yeah, how often do you talk to a Walmart or Amazon associate, whether it's in an Amazon store or on the phone? And even though Amazon is good customer service, I'm not really. I'm going in. They've made it so convenient that I, I probably don't need to. They're, they're going robotic. They want to go robotic and have less people in the store. So I think when you bucket retail in this all in one, I think that's that's a dangerous thing. And you know what Walmart wants to do, right? Walmart wants me to either buy it on the phone or have it so dialed in like they did in the pandemic when they said, okay, Chris, you need Pampers and ordering it on Amazon waiting six weeks doesn't really work or you have a problem. And so here's what we can do for you. Here's three stores next to you that we have Pampers. Here's the aisle they're in. Here's the sizes we have. And I go to the store and in 15 minutes, I've got Pampers. And that was a lifesaver for me. And so, but I didn't talk to somebody. I didn't talk to a human being, but that was a great experience for me. Walmart really made an impression on my family in that moment in time. That was a good experience. And I talked to nobody. So for some, the personalized experience and having the person come home and say, and talk to his friends and me go to say, hey, John, you got to go see Bob at the store over here. He treated me great. You got to, you, you won't believe what they do. That's one concept, but that's not for all retail. Just like overnight delivery or delivery in 20 minutes won't be all retail. It's not for everyone. It's not for every brand. Yep. It, there's definitely a spectrum. Agree on that. Um, you brought up another um, great issue and we don't have to go down this rabbit hole, but I do think it's interesting, which is, you know, I do think our behaviors will change after the pandemic. And it, it, even in a nice way, um, Retail Brew did um, a, a hysterical story, um, but not so funny when you really deeply think about it. I think it was called Boxalypse um, because at the height of the pandemic, we were all ordering stuff and boxes were being, you know, chucked in your doorway. If you, you know, have a doorman, you know, your porch, whatever it is, is that sustainable for the planet Earth? Forget about if it's sustainable for the retailer or they can do it all the time. So I love, I love the pushback on, you know, do you need this right now? And somebody actually kind of gave me an earful too on their knowing some of the things that have gone on in Amazon and they've managed it well, kind of from a PR perspective, but, you know, if you work on the Amazon floor and somebody wants their, you know, Fruit Loops the next day uh, and they have to walk a mile over to aisle 12 to get them to pack them up to have them go, um, you know, how is that sustainable also from a, a business, a human uh, perspective and, and also, you know, kind of for the planet Earth? So um, it'll be interesting to see um you know, where that goes. And I, again, it'll be on a spectrum for sure. All right. Uh, that is it for this episode of retail is your business. I'm so sad that we have to go, but Chris is a busy man and we, uh, we, we had a slice of time with him. Uh, I'm glad we spent time on retail as opposed to the the personal side of things, uh, just because I think there was much more value for the listener. But uh, maybe we can revisit with you sometime in the future, Chris, Absolutely. and get to know you a little more on the human side. How can people connect with you and your podcast and your business? Uh, Check out our website, www.dlcmgmt.com. Our podcast is Retail Retold. And you can follow me on social media at Ressa on Real Estate. Thank you. That is, it is a great podcast. I highly suggest you you listen to it along with this one. I it's had this guest, a, Rebecca Fitz, who was amazing. I heard so of you her. Should, you should. 
check was out that, that episode. Was that pre-COVID vaccination or? <laughs> it was. It was <laughs> definitely right, free. But during COVID. Chris Ressa, a scholar and a gentleman, we certainly appreciate your time. It was really great to meet you and, and great to spend time in this great conversation. Thank uh, you so much. Day. All right, that's it for this episode of Retail Is Your Business. So glad you were here with us. Uh, thank you to Rebecca Fitz. Thanks so much, Mark. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Until then, I'm Mark Rico. Bye-bye. This has been Retail Is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2020. Your brand message can be on this show. Email us to find out more at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network. Audio for business.